anyway, we don't have Bill, but uh, hey, everybody, how you doing? <laughs> well, that's good. Um, Harris wants to talk, so let's just let Harris talk. Hey, Harris, Kelly. how's it going? Good. How are you, Kelly? Good. How are you? I'm uh, doing fine. Uh, you really like to see the goals from the kids, the uh, the young forwards, so that's good. I thought they were going to lose in regulation and just like really go for the tank and they went in the shootout. So whatever, but I thought they were going to um, do exactly what they needed to do, which was like play well and then fucking just lose late in regulation. But I don't know. I mean, it's cool being the Rangers and winning an MSG. So whatever. It's one of those things where like, it's hard to be pissed off about them finally winning a shootout, but then yeah. also, you know, Why'd you wait until game, what is this, like game 68 or something to, to figure out how to win a shootout? Like, why now? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, just very annoying. Game 69, I think. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, very Excellent. nice. Uh, and also, it was up until, you know, about halfway through the third, I found myself thinking, this is actually a fun hockey game. Like I'm I th- having fun. I'm like they're somehow going to just like play well and just win this game. I mean, I guess it would be very flyers to just be terrible and then just win a one-off game, but then they do what they've done all year and blow it. They just didn't give up the, the power play goal. So I guess it's like cool to see a resilient PK and, but I don't know, it just what really matters at this point. I just, I like to see Owen Tippett score. I really liked him from his draft year and, um, big fan of his I just hope he like gets it together and the confidence goes up he just looks like a guy and I'm really reading into body language and like that's so hard to to know but he just seems like a guy where he like feeds off his own confidence and when he's playing mm-hmm. well, it's in his zone and just like it keeps going but then when he doesn't like he just kind of I don't know it's like self-pity but he, he nothing's going well if he's not like feeling good Yeah, it's interesting. I saw some conversation on Twitter during this game about um, the fact that the the knock on Tippett since he's gotten to the NHL level has been that he doesn't have a good enough shot for the NHL. Like, he can't finish at the NHL level. Um, But it was kind of the opposite of that when he was in junior. He was, you know, scoring a ton. So it's almost like he just kind of has to figure out how to beat NHL goaltenders, which I guess saying that out loud is kind of not a small thing (laughs) to try to figure out. Like Florida didn't put him like in the Stamkos Ovechkin spot on PP one. Right. So he's a, he's a decent skater, but like I never thought that they fully put him in the right spot, but that's also because Florida has been so stacked the last Mm -hmm. years. So like, the the Panthers added a bunch of players they don't even necessarily need. It's just excess players that are good, like Bennett and Duclair and they had Wenberg and they just and for Hagee. Like they have a bunch of good players and that was almost at the detriment of Tippett because he kind of got pushed down the depth chart and then he ended up in Charlotte like this year because of it and he wasn't producing. But it's not all his fault. I just think he needs to just get in a rhythm and keep doing it and scoring. And then I think it's just going to snowball for me. I think it's the same thing with Tyson Forrester. 
like when when Tyson Forster's on, he's money. But then when he's not, he sort of can get invisible. So I don't know if she wants to talk, but we have Maddie Campbell here in the chat, and she is she's the the prospects person at Broad Street Hockey. So if she wants to talk, she can raise her hand. Um, I don't. Oh, she does. Excellent, Maddie. Hello. Hello, Maddie. Maddie, you're muted. Don't don't be one of those people. She's being one of those people. That's okay. She'll figure it out. I fixed um, it. I'm sorry. Oh, you did. Is Harris correct about Tyson Forrester? Does he have a finishing problem? Usually, um, he has a great shot. I think he's um I think he's getting better as he continues to develop. I think as he's progressed with the Phantoms, I've been seeing less of that kind of blending into the background when he's not quite as on top of his game. So that's at least nice. From I what I see where you're coming from. From what I understand, like coming out of junior, it was the like uh, rounding out everything else in his game. Like he, his second half of his draft year in Barry, he was absolute money. The prospects game, he was a beast. And like, he was on an awesome power play with Veerling and Clark and everything was going in for him. And like, he obviously had injury issues with Lehigh Valley last year, but he started getting it together. And then he's had injuries this year and they just sent him back to Barry, but he's looked good since. But if he can, shoot the puck like Kovalchuk did in Atlanta, that type of shot, and then just round out everything else and be a plus player. Like, I think he could be a very good NHLer. It's the same thing with Tippett. Uh, yeah, I would I would love a player that could shoot like Kovalchuk. That's are we, type, aim- that's are we aiming a little high there? <laughs> no, I just, like, his release is like how Kovalchuk did in Atlanta. Okay, that's okay, so we're, we're not doing, like, a Sam Moran next pronger. Thing no, there, no, right? it's just the okay. release. Like Kovalchuk, better skater, like better all-around player. I'm just saying the release is like reminds me of that when I was watching his draft year. It's like that, but like how that translates from junior to the A to the NHL. Like obviously there's um there's steps to getting to that point, but right. Um, but I mean, like the the win tonight, like there were a lot of positives. Cam York scoring's fun, so. That was fun. I I think that Morgan Frost continues to look better than he has all season, which is promising. He's skating. Um, he's skating well. He is. He he just looks more confident. He looks less tentative with the puck. I find, um, which I think was one of the bigger problems that he was having when he was struggling earlier in the season is that he just always seemed hesitant. So I think make the play, which I, I think happens a lot with younger players where they, they just think too much instead of doing. And once they're able to kind of, you know, remember that they know how to do this, you know, as muscle memory, they don't have to think so much about it. They start to look better. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Frost, which is not a bad thing at all. And, and you and Bill on the pod were talking about, Kelly, that like, Frost, I forget if it was you or Bill who said like he should just be put in a top six spot and then like see what he can do with right. it. Because coaches, this old school mentality of just put him on the third or fourth line and make him earn it. Well, like right. for skill players, Frost isn't a bottom sixer. Like Frost needs to be put on that second line and, and develop from there. Right, absolutely. Because if your game is, you know, creating 
offense and being creative with the puck, you need someone to distribute the puck to. Like you can't be playing with third line or fourth line plugs if you're a player with Morgan Frost skill set because you can't like who who are you passing to? What are you going to do? Like it, it, it's just frustrating for me and I I don't this isn't me defending Morgan Frost cuz I'm kind of tired of of having to do that. I he's a very frustrating player. Um but I do think that you can't take a guy that you expect to develop into like a creative playmaker in the NHL and put him with guys who can't play because it doesn't matter what kind of creativity he can muster. If you've got, you know, a shit winger on your left and your right, what are you supposed to do with the puck? There's nothing you can do. And so it just doesn't allow him, I think, the chance to develop his game at the NHL level because they're not giving him the tools that he needs. And I'm not saying that he's earned it. I'm not saying that if they simply put him on the first line, he would be a good player. I don't know that at this point. But I do think that we're seeing that giving him an opportunity to play with talented players is, you know, reaping some benefits. And there might be something to that. But also, you know, the Flyers don't have a ton of uh, talented players right now. So really, who who would you put? I would put him with with, um, Konechny and or Tippett. And and one of those guys shoot. Like the, uh, put put the put Frost with one or both of those guys consistently and just see it. Like how that line play drives and controls possession and like see if Frost can set up uh, one of them on the rush for goals. Yeah, well he's had Frost with Tippett and um Brain Brain not working. One of the other young guys. Farabee. Farabee, yeah. Yeah. That's that's been Yeah fun to watch like that that's an, a line that I think had it, it been put together I mean obviously Tippett wasn't here you know back in December but had that kind of line been put together back then you know maybe after 20 or so games it would have developed into something fun to watch I don't know it, I'm it, grasping it, but then where's Frost slot back into the lineup next year when Couturier is healthy right right be, be, well, then the problem becomes, like, why can't we have a scoring third line, right? Like, good teams have scoring third lines. Yeah, look at 2016 and 20 – yeah, 16 and 17 Penguins with the HBK line. Right, exactly. So I think that we've been so conditioned to think that our third and fourth line have to be terrible that the idea of having a 3C like Morgan Frost doesn't make any sense to us because – we can't imagine our third line reliably scoring goals every night. And I think that's kind of like, that's where we need to get to. You, the third line either needs to be that HBK type, or it needs to be what Tampa's done the last two years where it's a two way line. That's very, very elite defensively. Like, yeah, they they talk about the, uh, the Moen, uh, Paulson, neither Meyer line with Anaheim back in 07. Then people have talked about the, um, Goodrow, Coleman, Gord line, and, and like, and then obviously the Haglund, Benino, Kessel line. You you need something like that. But I really like the idea of a um, a scoring third line. It's just that people are biased in favor of a grittier defensive third line because the playoffs are more physical. Like that's why they are. They are. 
Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of what I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what Florida does this year because Florida is all offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Micah Colorado tweeted, too. yeah, Micah tweeted something today about um, Florida being essentially average defensively and goaltending wise, like yeah, you like, know, not it, not yeah, great. Night hasn't been that good, right? But but on offense, they're ridiculous Mm -hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see if we can finally get a team that rather than focusing on gritty tough defense to make it through the playoffs if an all offense running gun go 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 kind of team can get it done maybe we'll finally see other teams copy that kind of mold because that would be a lot of fun. I would well, what, really like to see that. What do you think of like how Tampa's constructed the last two years? The, t- the bubble run was the top two lines doing most of the scoring without Stamkos, and that's mm-hmm. about it. Last year was like very balanced, and mm-hmm. like they did play defensive, but they even had Tyler Johnson, who traditionally is an offensive player, like had him on the fourth line in like the in Game Five of the final. So like Tampa's not completely all offense, but Right. Like they do. They do actually give up. If you watch Tampa consistently, they do give up way more chances than you think. It's just Vasilevsky is elite. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If you have that kind of goaltender, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not saying that there's no value to also less power plays in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not saying there's no value to the idea of of building a team the way that Tampa did or valuing tough, gritty defense in the playoffs. But if a team that doesn't value that so much can win a Stanley Cup, then the problem is I think that there's too much emphasis put on it. And teams heading into the playoffs, rather than saying, let's see how much front-end skill we can get to score lots of goals heading into the playoffs, they say, like, how do we get Mark Giordano on the back end to provide gritty veteran leadership? So I, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like that focus for me is tired and boring. And I would like to see the league shift towards something different. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, you would prefer I, the Panthers model as opposed to what the blues did in 1819. Right. Because exactly. the, the blues were a good team that was tough and physical that their goaltending got hot at the right time. They weren't really an especially fun team to watch playing. No. The Panthers no. have like a surplus of scoring. Right. So many guys and guys on their back end who can score. And if a team can do that, then yeah, it'd be more fun to uh, see if the rest of the league would do that. The interesting thing, obviously relating back to the flyers is that the, some people, I guess it's the, the management that you say needs to go away of like the mentality that they just need tough players. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I was telling Bill this in the last post game. I think toughness, like like a lot of people, or like physicality, like hit throwing, a bit overrated unless you're actually like intimidating people or like you're knocking people out of the game. Like if right. you're if you're just hitting to hit, then you're like chasing hits. Like the guys who like hit and were impactful were the Stevens, the Casparitis, the Cronwalls. Other guys, like if you can do it in the playoffs, and like it, it actually has impact, it's good. But um, like we're seeing that at least in the regular season, if you can score more points, like you can make up for defensive woes. That's why like right. 
Mike Hoffman's continue to exist because he can put up a lot of goals, even if he does nothing defensively, like the, the Belmar types exist in the bomb six and he's been actually very good in Tampa, but they're not really moving the needle that much, but people like really emphasize that because of like how hockey has been. So. Right. Exactly. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point, because this is how it's always been done. And the reason it's always been done this way is because they stop calling penalties in the playoffs, which is, you know, a conscious choice. It's not a thing that they have to do. They could continue to call penalties in the playoffs if they wanted to. Um, the, the biggest issue I see in the regular season, and it applies to the playoffs too, is you can get away with murder essentially when you're down a man. They never want to call a penalty mm-hmm. five on three. You see very few five on threes. When I, I can see once or twice every game I watch, there's a penalty for the team that's down a man. It should be five on three, and they just let it go because they think, oh, if we let them have a five on three, it just like it's too unfair or something. I don't right. appreciating, and I know it's the NHL telling them, but like, when just call the rule book and say right, exactly situational based thing, and like, just call it how it is. And I, I just don't like the the game management, but that's another story. Um, I totally agree. Um, I'll, Paris, I'll let other people talk. But, cool. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, You're uh, awesome as always. I'm going to let Zach Boyle speak. Zach, you are on the post game. How are you doing? Zach, you're muted. Zach, hit your mute button, bud. The mute button is is a menace in green room. I'm going to hold a Zoom session at some point to teach everyone here how to unmute themselves on green room because it seems to be a struggle. Um, Zach, I'm going to keep you up here in case you, it's not showing up by request again. If you're in the chat space, you need to go out of the chat space and then you will see the mute button at the bottom of your screen. That's the way to approach the mute button. Okay. Up oh, here's Zach again. Let's try that. Zach. There it is. Two of you now. Oh, there's two, two Zachs. I don't know what happens if I kick out one of you. Let's see what happens. Oh, kicked out both of you. Zach, sorry. This is what happens when we have no bill. Zach, raise your hand again. There you are. Okay. Tell you sorry about that, in. buddy. I'm doing great. We're, we're trying. Okay, Zach, welcome to the post game. Oh, thanks, Kelly. Technology's hard. Um, but I guess I, just, I was thinking about this the other night, listening to Bill in the post game. Um, I was just wondering, in, in your opinion, which do you have less faith in? Their ability to like draft and build a team from there or their ability to go out in the off season and actually make smart decisions that make the team better for this aggressive retool. I have less faith in the retool only because I think it's just inherently more difficult for them to do it. Um, It's going to require other general managers to participate. Like Chuck's going to have to make trades. He's going to have to dump salary. He's going to have to figure out how to make moves that requires him interfacing with other general managers, most of whom I think might be better at their jobs than he is. So that is a little bit frightening because you don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I think I talked about this with Bill the other day that Chuck's going to have to just like flat out win at least one trade this summer, like just hands down, no argument. Chuck makes a trade. We look at it immediately and we say, Hell yeah, Chuck won that trade. If he doesn't make at least one of those this summer, I don't know how the retool could possibly be successful 
to the level that I think that they want it to be. So for me, if they were going to go full rebuild and just draft, there's a chance they could get lucky doing it that way. Um, then of course you have the issue with development that I don't, I don't know. That's a whole other thing, but the retool I think is just such a narrow lane that he's going to have to perfectly get through in order to make this work. It's just hard to see it happening. Right. And I feel like with a a draft, like, you know, you can just, you have so many more chances. Like are are you like a Oscar Lindblom every single draft? Probably not. But you know, at least you're taking chances out there and it's not costing you realistically like more additional capital other than just whatever you needed to do to get that pick. Um, but as a follow-up to that, who are some realistic players that maybe you would want to see, you know, the Flyers make a move for that are actually attainable, that could make sense given what we have hmm. to spend? It's so hard to say. I don't think Johnny, as much as I would like it, I don't think Johnny Gaudreau is a possibility. No, I don't think Maddie, so. I'm sure, can speak to this. I don't think that the Flames are going to let him go. I think they'll probably figure out a way to keep him. It would be crazy um, to let him go. Someone in the chat, Harris Barnes, is saying, Kadri, if you don't overpay, I don't see a situation in which Kadri does not get overpaid this summer, considering the season that he's having. And he's like never going to have a season like this again, especially if he comes to Philadelphia. Like He's absolutely not going to have that kind of season again. Um, so that I think would be a bad move. That said, I could totally see them trying to go after Nazem Kadri because I feel like it's a very Flyers move in that it would have been great to get him four or five years ago. Right. And we didn't do it then, so we're going to do it now and overpay for him, and it'll be a problem. Um, but it, it's hard, though. It's because I, he's got to dump so much salary that it's going to – we need to see how he does that first. Like if they buy out JVR, then you've got a little bit of a hit that remains. Maybe you can find a way to get the coyotes to take him. And then you can dump the whole thing. Um, yeah. There's just so many moving parts. Maddie, you don't think it draws leaving the flames. Do you? Um, I think it's going to be tricky for them. Um, it seems like, Probably he wants to stay and they want to keep him. Um, the team being good now obviously helps, but uh, they're going to be in a tough spot because they've got to re-sign him, Kachuk, and Mangiapani this summer. And they are going to be pretty tight to the cap. So I don't know if they're going to inadvertently like have to let him walk because they've kind of fucked themselves a little bit. But Do you um, think they might let like Mangiapani walk instead? Um, I think that would have to be like a trade, no qualify. I think he's still RFA. Oh, is he still RFA? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting. I saw James said in the chat, sneaky want Monahan. That's probably not one that I would touch mm. at this point. Um, especially he's got another, I think, hip injury that he's getting surgery on now, and that scares me a lot. Yeah, we don't need any more. Yeah. We don't need any more broken players. <laughs> no. We're full up on broken guys, I think. What about uh? I know he's kind of under the radar. No one's really talked about him, but I've loved his game and the way he plays ever since he came into the league. Igor Sharangovich from the Devils. I think he'd be a fantastic top nine 
winger. That's an interesting one. It's I think it's going to have to be guys like that. Like I think that the big names on everyone's radar, I don't know if Chuck is going to be able to pull them off just based on the cap situation. It would be a dramatic overpay, and then we'd end up losing someone and knowing the Flyers and basically all of Philadelphia sports luck. It would be some guy that we're like, yeah, you know what, move on him. And then he ends up becoming like a Norris or like like a some ridiculous player somewhere else. And, you know, 10 years later, we're like, uh, what could have been? But. So someone in the chat, Haunted Laptop, is mentioning this whole trading Provorov thing. I really don't think that's going to happen. Maddie, what do you think about that? I don't think that they can. It just creates too big a hole. Yeah, I have so many, like, really complicated feelings about that one. Um, I was really gung-ho about it, like, even just a few weeks ago. But since, like, Cam York has fixed Yes, that's the interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah, it's – so that's that kind of complicates things. Because for a while I was thinking, like, yes, you're hoping that he's going to rebound and – probably he could but it's like you're spending so much time and effort trying to find the exact right partner for him to make him even passable at this level like at what point is it like you have to cut your losses like that's more work than it's worth trying to figure that out when you could maybe try to find somebody else to do that like I think sneaky the the Seth Jones trade has worked out really well for Columbus with how they were able to sweep in and get um Boquist. Mm. And it looks like he's something and they sold off their kind of overrated guy for that. Obviously that's like a huge win and you can't bank on that kind of trade working out for you every time. But like, yeah, there's a model for that kind of thing to happen, but yeah, it's him being good now. is like <laughs> making things so much harder. I mean, I guess if, if you want to trade him, it works out. That he's looking better heading into the off season. Yeah. I just, I just don't know who takes all those minutes then. Can't yeah. like, do you put? I don't know if you want to put Cam York with Ryan Ellis because then he's on the wrong side, right? Uh that would put him back on his right side. Oh yeah, yeah, he's on the wrong side now. I kind of um, don't hate it though. Yeah, because I'm like I, a big Cam York stand. I know, but I've been thinking a lot about how. If you keep everyone that we have, are you putting Cam York on the third pair? Because that seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine you would, but like, uh, they he's might, been though. so good. I know. In a perfect world, Bristow would be on the third pair. And just Wouldn't that be nice? Well, in a perfect world, <laughs> in a perfect <laughs> world, I don't know that Risto would be on the third pair. Um. Zach, thank you so much. I'm going to let Jacob Price have the floor. Thank you so much. Jacob, welcome to the post game. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, I I do want to add to the Proveroff discussion. Um, There was like two games earlier in the season where Proveroff didn't play with Braun, and he looked good. Like, I'm wondering how much of it is – Cam York saving Proveroff or just like Braun was just bringing Proveroff that much down? Mm. (laughs) Like like second, what is it? Second, his second game with the Rangers, Braun was a healthy scratch and was just trashed by the coach. 
Well. So I'm just wondering of like how much of it was really because I mean he played one game with with Risto, and he scored a goal, you know, earlier in the season. So here's the thing, and I think we've said this a thousand times on radio. You can't expect Provorov to perform at his peak with a shitty partner. Totally fine. Understandable. That said, it doesn't seem like it's just he's bad when he's with a bad partner. It's if he's not with the exact, precise, as Maddie just said, perfect stylistically partner for him, he's absolute garbage. And I don't think that a Stanley Cup contending team would have a number two that is a disaster if their number one is out. Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be that if the one goes down, the two can step up and be the best defenseman on the team. We have a situation where if the one goes down, Provorov is a disaster. Like, that that can't, it can't be. Like, that's unsustainable. So I don't know if it's just Braun was bringing him down so much as Provorov needs someone to bring him up. And if he doesn't have someone bringing him up, then he's trash. And that's not, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. I'm, I'm just, I don't want to give up on him too soon. Is what I, I'm know. Saying. Like, yeah, I don't I know. think he's as bad as what everything is reflected. I mean, he's played multiple games with Cam York and has looked great. Um, he has, yeah. Even he even played what half a game the other the other night with Sanheim still looked great. That's why I'm just curious of like every other partner this season that Pervos played with, he's looked good, but he's looked completely trash with Braun. Yeah. I've, I so. mean, they tried him with Sanheim earlier in the season, right? And that did not go mm-hmm. well, right? No, so, that's that's know. never worked. I don't think. Um, I I do want to slightly change uh topics um do we have like a massive log jam at winger i mean noah cates and oscar limblom are essentially the same player um i think there's too many wingers that don't really move the needle for us and we have no room for any youth uh well cates is a natural center for what it's worth he's playing wing for us though yeah, but he's a he's a natural center. I mean, he played more center in college. Oh, uh, really? I thought he was a winger, and only Jackson Cates was the center. No, they switched him to wing um, for this season, but he he's played more center for UMD. Oh, well, if we're shorthanded at center, why are we not playing him at center right now? I guess it's an easier transition for him. Uh, okay. All right. I, you know, I'm just kind of like looking at our team, and I'm just seeing a lot of wingers that aren't really doing anything like I'm essentially like written off Oscar Lindblom I mean he's been a non-factor this second half of the season essentially I mean you can look at it as a log jam right now but what it could end up being is you know a lot of things that Chuck can package in the summertime to maybe get some stuff I don't know like, I, I, obviously, you can't make Oscar Lindblom the centerpiece of a trade right now, but if you package him with a couple other players or players and prospects, you know, picks, whatever, these are kind of the moves that maybe might have to be made in order to get the whole retool underway. Yeah, if only we could just get rid of JVR, that would be a... Maybe maybe we could package JVR and Limbaugh. I was going to say, like, you you might have to give away a couple of good players 
with JVR in order to get someone to take that contract, or you just find a way to get the Arizona Coyotes money laundering operation to take his contract on because they have to reach the floor eventually. And I'm pretty sure they're going to be pretty far below it um, after this season. So that'll that'll be interesting. I agree. Well, well, thanks for letting me on. I got, I got to leave and head to work. So take care. Thanks Jacob. All right. Let's bring up haunted laptop, haunted laptop. Welcome to the post game. Hey, how's it going? Great. How are you? So I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just wanted to go, so sort of talking about the Provorov thing, um, I just, like, I, I just don't see how, I mean, for number one, there's been a lot of smoke around him and Sanheim, but, you know, you've got a number two defenseman, and considering what, like, upper echelon defensemen have been earning lately, like, Everyone who's been signing that has any name cachet, their their number starts with a nine, and Provi starts with a six, and that's a huge deal if you're going to try and aggressively retool. Um, additionally, like you know, who the hell knows what Chuck in the up in the front office is going to do? But just like in my head, it just makes more sense to try and unload a guy, like I said, who has that name cachet. He's only making, you know, yeah, six million is a lot, but considering Seth Jones got nine and and whatnot, you know, and and additionally, like, you know, you can't. I'm just I I kind of went back to what Chuck said when they first got Risto in the summer, which was, you know, I forget who asked the question, but they were asking him like you know, why do you think he might be better here? And one of the things he said outside of, oh, you know, he might play better because Buffalo is a tire fire was, you know, he's had a rotating cast of partners. So like, you know, if you believe that and then you're going to trade his partner from this year, who's been pretty steady alongside of him, like it just doesn't add up. And, and like, I don't know, just as a team, like, can you really go forward where two of your two of the D in your top four in Provorov and Risto are making like twelve million dollars combined, and they're both projects. Like you're yeah. gonna you're gonna need whoever the coaches are to like put a lot of effort into fix or like getting Risto to like not be insane, and then like you're also gonna hope that like they could fix Provorov at the same time. It's just like, I, I just don't, again, the front office could make stupid decisions because they've shown that they're willing to do that. But yeah, that's just, that's yeah, that's I, the thing. Like I, I also don't want to shit on Rissalainen too much only because it's like getting old. Um, yeah. We do it a lot, but that contract really is just a problem. It's so much money for a guy that doesn't provide nearly that much value and having him eating up that much space makes it difficult to figure out what you're going to do to fix the team. Like you, you kind of have to keep everybody else on defense because you can't go out and get a $9 million number one because you've got a $5 million number five, which is like, you know, yeah, batshit. Um, so, so yeah, I, 
I just don't I don't think that they can trade anyone on defense just because replacing them. Unless you think Cam York can replace Sanheim, but then again, Sanheim is the only thing that's made Ristolainen a passable NHL defenseman so far. So if you take Sanheim off of the Risto pair, what happens to Ristolainen? I'm terrified to find out. Um, yeah, it, it's a mess. This is why I'm not super confident in this retool thing, because there's just so much that has to go perfectly. Yeah, and I mean, what, it looks like right now all they have room to do is, like, fill in with guys on ELC. Right, right? exactly. It's got to be the kids. <laughs> We're finally going to get the team full of kids we've all been asking for. Somehow yeah. it, we cursed ourselves into this. Um, Harris <laughs> wants to talk again. Harris. How's it going, bud? Harris, you're a pro. Unmute yourself. I'm sorry. I was typing. Um, My bad. Can you hear me, Kelly? Um, What's he going to say? So, yeah, the Couturier extension kicks in next year, so that's not great. Yeah, that's something that I don't think a lot of people considered when we were trading Giroux, is that Giroux's entire cap hit is eaten up by the uh, Couturier raise and the Therabee raise, I believe, are the two that are eating up his entire cap hit. Yeah, and Ellis is still on on the books until 2027, Mm -hmm. and he can't stay healthy. Um, what do you do with Lawton when he comes back and you signed Ristolainen for no reason? Like, what are they doing? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I know the, you have Zamula, but like the, the right shot D in the prospect pool isn't huge. I'm not sure if Andre's coming over at some point and he's 5'8", so I don't know if Maddie has insight on that. Because I liked him like in his draft year. I mean, like he, he was not. Some, but Maddie, do you have thoughts on Andre? Is he going to come um... over? Um, I want to circle back for two seconds and just pump the brakes a little bit on the uh, Ellis can't stay yes, healthy. Yes, I was going to. Thank uh, it's you. It's like it's one thing that he's been dealing with all year. That's like a serious thing. Yeah. But he got hurt in Nashville a bunch. No, but but uh, but they were freak. No, see that's the thing. They were freak injuries. Like one was a puck off his hand that broke his finger. Like that's not something. Like that's not like an aggravation injury that's going okay. to happen over and over again. The thing that we thought was a shoulder was the hand. Okay. Um. And then he had one other thing, like a concussion. I think he got hit in the head, right? Like that was another thing that kept him out long. So it's that not like... The, yeah, that was the Perry hit, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, you know, Hayes, where it's just like an, a, an aggravating injury that's probably going to happen over and over and over again. Like what was going on with him in Nashville was not really the kind of injury problem that's an injury problem. Because okay, I just, just got hurt a lot. In his career year, statistically, he got hurt. And then he's got... He does. Since, so... Okay, maybe yeah. it's not that bad. Maddie, that you know- said, like, I don't know what the hell is going on with him this year, and I don't know what he's going to look like coming out of it. It is a little bit terrifying because it's not very often that a hockey player misses literally an entire season because of an injury. Um, so it's, you know, it's a little bit – gives you a little bit of pause to see what he's going to look like after an entire year off the ice. Um, but I'm not – I'm more worried about what he's going to look like coming off of this injury than I am about him getting hurt again, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, does Maddie, do you know when Emil Andre is going to come over? Um, 
I don't know, like, 100%, but my gut is it would not be for next season. I mean, he spent all of this year in uh, the Allsvenskan, and I I imagine they're going to want to have him play a full SHL season before they have him move over to potentially AHL, NHL. So um, I don't think we're going to be seeing him for a little bit, but that's fine. The Flyers really do seem to like to let their prospects overcook in the SHL, like they're doing with Lixell right now. But yeah. And then they do seem to really like him. Is the organization going to sign McLennan? Because his production's always been good. He's just short. Um, I would say probably. Okay, because like like I I thought he was going to when he he was uh, in his draft year. I thought he was going to be a second third round pick, and he got hurt. And then he's just short. The Flyers got him, and I really like that pick. They just haven't signed him. I'm like they've signed Dana Orr, and he's popped off. But like McLennan's good, and no one's talking about him. Bring me Day Noye next year. <laughs> but he'll be he'll be in the A next year for sure. No, NHL, bring him right up. I'm obsessed with him. Um, I look at the roster. I'm on cap friendly right now. Like a healthy Flyers lineup and then coached properly, it's pretty. It could be a pretty decent team if it's managed right. Um, so many but, ifs, Harris. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I mean, but, none of us in August thought that this is the season that we were gonna have. Mm-hmm. No one looked at this roster and thought it was going to be like this. Like, I, there's there's no one. Anyone that says that they thought they were, were going to be this bad in August. No, I thought third in the division. Micah, I thought third first. in the division. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I said they were going to win the Stanley Cup. So, well, that's yeah. Well, that's your Yeah, well, fair. Um, yeah, they, they shouldn't be this bad. There's no logical reason for them to be this bad. Allegedly. I still can't get over Micah picking them to be last in the league and then this happening because I really thought that there was no way that was going to happen. Do we like Adderd so far? Like his skating isn't pretty. Like he has a bomb of a one T. But the like second game. Because I, I've, wa- I've watched like one full of his games at Western Michigan. And he like the tools are there. He was an older draft pick when he was picked. But like, I don't know how like he projects and like where they're going to put him next year. Yeah. I, I really think he's going to be fine. Um, I've kind of loved his skill set since mm-hmm. they drafted him. And I really liked the progress that he's made through college. Um, the strides always been a little bit wonky, but it hasn't big time hindered him. So I think it's going to be okay. And there's still tons of room for him to polish it out now that he actually sees what he needs to do to keep up at this level um but i like him a lot yeah i was just concerned because the ncaa game like is considerably slower and like this game like almost everyone who's good isn't is a close to an elite skater so like can he keep up can he get around in his own zone like in the offensive zone i have no worries if he if he like utilizes his skill set well it was just like how does he move zone to zone and like defensive zone coverage but yeah I think it's just going to be a big summer for him where he's just going to have to put some work in and polish out a little bit but um there's nothing that I've seen that makes me feel like he's never going to put it together you know Mm -hmm. uh and Kelly uh one thing I put in chat is a guy who I would like to see targeted in UFA I think a lot of teams could use this guy and he's not going to be able to be kept because of cap constraints is Andre Burakovsky. He's an elite 5v5 goal scorer. 
borderline. Mm. Like, in, if you play an up-tempo style and, and, like, you give him open space, like, his shot is very good. He was not utilized that well in um, Washington, and he's been used very well in Colorado. And if you put him second or third line in a goal-scoring role, like, I, I I don't see him, like, falling off a cliff. I don't. I don't. No, Isn't he kind of streaky? It's true. He's like a he's like a JVR one to one replacement. They do be like that. Was. But his shots <laughs> way better, and he does like he does. I don't think he gets. He's an, as invisible, and he's way younger. That's a thing. If you could clear J, JVR off, like Burkowski was drafted in 2013, so he's way younger. I mean, I I think that JVR is going to be gone one way or the other. It's just a matter of if he's going to be bought out or if Chuck is going to be able to move the whole thing. Well, That's it's going the to only be, question. you attach him and Liv Blom and a prospect or a pick. I don't know, man. There's got to be a way to – like Arizona has to. Well, come, they have to make the floor. Like they okay. have to. So you, and, like you traded ghosts and you had to attach picks. See, but here's the thing. Did they have to, or does Chuck just suck at his job? Because I find it hard to believe that you really, really had to sweeten it that much take Ghost. I mean, I know no one took him off waivers, but I don't know, man. He's not I guess that it, bad. It's one year left until he's a UFA, so maybe they won't have to attach much. It's just the AAV is high, so maybe it's just one asset that they have to attach. I think yeah. the thing that's interesting, though, is I think, and if you're still on cap friendly, you can check me here, I think yeah. that his actual dollar amount paid by the team is lower than his cap hit, which is should be pretty attractive. So his team. base salary next year is four million. His bonus is one million. So his cap hit seven. So the whenever right. that bonus gets paid out July first or the equivalent. So the base salary is only four million. So that's attractive right. to an Arizona or Seattle. Exactly. To a team that doesn't want to actually spend any money, but needs to be compliant with the stupid salary cap. So, yeah, like I, I, I thought for a while, maybe not Arizona, but I felt like Seattle. I don't know what they're going to do in their off season, but like maybe Seattle wants. I truly do. have no idea still what Seattle is doing. I mean, they have ten thousand draft picks, so maybe they were just planning to build a team later. I yeah, don't know. and they have a bunch of RFA's and some UFA's, but like, yeah, they. He's he's an option. Like JVR is an option to be traded there. Like mm-hmm. I think he fits more what Seattle's doing as opposed to maybe. I mean Arizona, I guess could use him, but like I don't know what they're more, doing. There's more in roster Arizona. space. There's more. There's more <laughs> roster space with Seattle, and just need for more players because yeah. like Arizona at least has prospects. Seattle has like none. So that is true. Like they have one guy who will play maybe two guys who will come up and play next year from Seattle. Like Arizona will, will have a bunch. So that's the thing with JVR. I mean, and I said in the chat in terms of another UFA option, uh, Max Domi. Oh, no, I don't no, thank no, you. No, 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 I don't like him <laughs> from like an on ice perspective or like off ice or is he ice? good enough on the ice to make me not care about the off ice? And I don't you want to talk about streaky guys too. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, and like everything that I've heard about him from my friend who covers the Blue Jackets is just like he's not always super engaged, and you, 
he really feels like he needs to be put in the right position and uh, I don't like it. So then I don't we don't need another prima donna for sure. So then the other option I'm looking at is Nachushkin or Mason Marchman. Mm -hmm. Mason Marchman uh, fits that gritty but can score role too. Yes, to Mason Marchman. Um, They're both interesting. But he reminds me of his dad, him and uh, his dad and Richard Pilon, dirtiest players ever. Nachushkin's big, but I don't know if he scores. He's going to score that much outside of Colorado because he didn't in Dallas. So. I prefer not to acknowledge that I watched current NHL hockey players' dads play hockey, James. So <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> oh, man. Brian Marchment. Him, Richard. Do Leon, not bring up Keith Kachuk. Uh, well, first of all, all Samuelson. Actually, Shell Samuelson. I was watching his kid play in Buffalo today. Whew. How weird is that? No, I don't like that. <laughs> but like Nachushkin yeah. and Marchment, like they're not going to cost a ton. No, they're not. But you know the thing about like um, I mean, even with Barakowski, like you're saying, like the, these guys, they need like it's just like all of the players that we already have. You need the right guys around them, and we don't already have the right guys. And if you need like if you have a whole team of guys that need the right guys, then you yes, need more. that's the problem. We have nothing but complementary pieces. We don't have the things that they complement. Um. Kelly, what trade do you want to see from Fletcher? Oh, God. I don't even know, man. I I, I don't know. It's just I don't know who's going to be available, like, for hockey trade purposes. The only thing mm-hmm. that – and then that gets you into, like, if you're going to get a high-end offensive talent in a hockey trade – you probably are going to have to trade one of Prover or Sandheim because the only way that kind of trade makes sense is if a team needs defense and they have an excess of offense, they can send us one of their good scorers. We can send them one of our good defensemen. Everybody wins. But then we're back to that whole problem of like, how do you construct the defense with one of those two players gone? I don't know. It, I don't know. I mean, like, there's a, obviously a million players I would like to see the Flyers get. I just don't know how gettable any of them are, and I don't know if the Flyers have enough expendable assets. It feels like all of the good players that we have, we need. Like, we need to keep them if we're going to be good next season because that's the goal. It, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. And, and that's why, like, they – I hate talking about coaching – coaches because I don't think most of them are that important but with this roster where the talent's there and the the construction hasn't been mm-hmm. I feel like actually finding the right coach um, like that's important. And no I think the coach is going to be important. Yeah, yeah, I like kind of sneaky think this coach is going to be the most important mm-hmm. this year. Um, I would do that before you start looking at retooling the roster, because what if you make a ton of moves and they just don't fit? No, that makes yeah. a lot of sense, Maddie. Yeah. Maddie, do you have like a a coach in mind that you think would fit coaching? Like not one of the, uh, the retreads? Uh, my hot take, I would love to see uh, Nate Lehman out of Providence. Ooh. Okay, I was thinking, I'm looking at the list. I was thinking Mm. Lehman, there's Ricard Gronberg from uh, Switzerland who has the ties to the Red Wings and some other um, organizations. But Lane Lambert, who's on Trotz's staff with the Islanders, another option. Maddie going full Hackstall. 
I love to see it. <laughs> but he's actually good. <laughs> but do, do you think Lehman would like let his talented players play, or is he going to coach like it's an NCAA team and like be too controlling like David Quinn? No, I think he's going to let him play. I mean, okay. I loved what he did at the uh, the World Juniors with that team. So I think that's a pretty good model. Yeah. Um, I I just like, you know, I guess maybe Lehman really does fit this roster because um, there's no like huge personalities to manage. And if you just tinker in the right ways. Yeah. And he's also, um, he's pretty pro analytics, which I think fits okay. with what the front office is trying to build as well. Yeah. Um, so that's a bonus. Yeah. I, I mean, Lehman's been one of like the top five guys that um, is in the next wave. So that'd be interesting. I'm not sure if there's any, guys coming up from the AHL that would be, I'm looking, it's the Capitals AHL coach is interesting. Carberry for the bears. And, and there might be some major junior coaches there. I, I just don't know enough about the market. Who's going to be there, but Lehman would be interesting. Um, it's for the love of God, not Rick Tuckett. <laughs> Harris, I'm going to let, uh, I'm going to let Justin B have a okay. turn on the floor. Thank you again. You're the best. Hey, real quick before just, I, Justin hops oh. on. Oh, staying on the coaches. I just wanted to hop on to like, talk about uh, Mike Yo, the funniest part of the game when he's holding up Yo, the puck. the Mike. Yeah, it was. He looks ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why he looked like extra Bond villain while he was holding up that puck. It was oh, very I strange. Love it. He was like full Johnny Cochran. Like, if the puck don't go over, you have to quit or something. <laughs> like, like the, I don't know. Like, who the hell knows how to fix the flyers? Like, we gotta mine out. No one. Things. No one knows. Justin B, welcome to the post game. Hey, yes, welcome, welcome you. Well, welcome me. <laughs> You've been here for a while. It's like when the when the server brings you something and they're like, enjoy it. And you're like, yeah, you too. But not really, like, because it's mine. Uh, honestly, you should bring Harris back in my place because of all the real hockey talk he brings. I honestly just wanted to get your take on Mike Yo looking like a creme brulee. <laughs> this is the this is precisely the content I need on a Kelly post game with no Bill Mats. Honestly, Kelly, let me tell you this. I was gonna say this to Bill like a week ago, but I you weren't on, <laughs> and I was like, this is a Kelly topic. Like, listen, I'm not making fun of the guy for being bald. Like, that looks good bald, but it looks like somebody put sugar on his head <laughs> and then put a torch to it. And his cheeks are always blushed. He looks like a creme brulee. Like, he's I always boiled over. I, now I can't unsee it. <laughs> he is that, um, the thing with Mike Yo, I find, is that he's not, he's not a man that should be wearing, like, a suit. Like, when he's in his, like, practice athletic wear and, like, a hat and, like, his cash outfit, like, he looks like a normal human being. Behind the bench in a suit, he looks like a weirdo and creme brulee, apparently. Um, but, yes, that's an excellent question. Thank you for pointing out that he looks like creme brulee. I'm never going to unsee it now. It should be uh, all-season content, just trying to say what flyers, personnel, look like what foods or desserts. I'm making a note, James. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, for the future coach considerations, oh. like what do we want them to look like as food? Well, Ricard Gromberg looks like the Gordon's fisherman. 
He's got a strong beard. The big yellow hat, put it on there. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what this man looks like, but I feel like I have to Google it because all of it sounds very relevant to my interests. Oh no, Kelly, you like he um he he looks like a sea captain. Like, yes, that's like, yes, that's very relevant to my interests. <laughs> and it's got like a like a, this grayness going on to it too. He's seen things. All right. Race to Google. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. I'll get too distracted and I'll lose track of my thoughts. Um, there aren't very many. Um, Justin, did you have anything else, or was it just Mike Yo's? It was really bad. Like I said, just bring it. Okay. It was. Yeah, it was. I have to say, I would have really liked to hear you ask Bill Matz about Mike Yo looking like creme brulee. It would have been very entertaining for me. I mean, speaking of funny things, Justin, um, I'm very enamored with people's like avatars on this thing. And yours is a dolphin with whose face over it? Uh, That's Dolph Lundgren. So it's actually Dolph. That's so good. The coach of the Flyers. Yeah, I made it myself. Yeah. Did yeah. you make it yourself? I never would have guessed it's so masterfully done. <laughs> I, yeah, listen, I did that in time, but it was fantastic. Oh, man. Oh, my God. I must break you. I love it. <laughs> Bill has the best audience in the world. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. I will hop off. Bye. All right. James, why is Ivan Provorov stick so long? Ah, oh, God, Jesus. I swear to God, like, you can tell a kid comes up and then, like, they, especially when playing defense, they, they want to increase the range of, of, like, their arm and, like, for poking. And not only that, I'm sure at one point that, like, he had a master, like, a bomb of a shot. You know, and like, you get up to a level and then these things sort of equal out. But, like when your stick is longer, it literally gives you more velocity. It's a, it's like a longer width, a longer fulcrum. Um, the thing is though, like, and you know, when, once you have NHL skill, um, then you just kind of like you, the skill equals out, but then like you just like are mentally attached to these things that you think got you there. So I'm sure there are several people in his life that have told him to shorten up this dumb thing and like decrease his lie to be able to stick handle better in tight, particularly in like his own defensive zone. But he just thinks like, Oh, well, this is the, the, this is the tool that got me here. I can't abandon it now. Mm. But if like, so he probably has, and this is going to be like super nerdy stuff, but like he probably uses like a seven lie on his stick, which basically means that it's more um, uh, obtuse and less right angular. Like the converse to that would be Peter Forsberg, who uses a very short stick, and that's like a four lie, right? Um, which means that he could stay on top of the puck, and that's why he was able to stick handle in the phone book. But someone like um, like Provorov or like a Yager, they want to be able to keep reach. But the problem is, is that Provorov is not Yager, and he can't really like he's not as strong or doesn't have that Hall of Fame Yager ass to be able to box guys out. So that's why he loses so many pucks in tight. And it's also the reason why he needs somebody who is as good as he is to give and go. You notice that the way that he's been playing really well lately is because he's jumping up in the play. He's not carrying the puck himself because he he can't carry the puck at high speed with Mm -hmm. that tree branch of a stick. James, what have you coached the Flyers? (laughs) 
you know, the, the interesting thing about the coach, and we always talk about that, and like Harris is talking about it, you know, there are only so many ways to play hockey, right? You know, you're going to play like a two, three, one, like a trap or whatever. And I like that. You know what the coach's job really is, is to be a psychologist and like get guys motivated. Because especially now that you have like three or four guys, like really be like your X's and O guys, you have a specific power play coach. You have like a guy, like you even have like separate skills coach for like even shooting and goaltending and all these things. So the guy, the, the head coach's job is to really keep these guys motivated and like keep them to plan. And even in like my very, very, very minor coaching experience, like coaching in like 16 new kids through like a, a 20 game season, the message gets stale very quickly. So imagine trying to keep literal millionaires engaged. And like, that's what you see like when, when the guys are like, okay, we're done with this guy. We make more money than he does. So we'll just turn him off to bring us a new guy. Which is why I am thoroughly fascinated by the Martin St. Louis experiment in Montreal, because I feel like he is not coaching them in the traditional sense. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's he is just saying, go out there and do hockey. You know what you're doing. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. That's that's essentially it. And in fact, yeah. And, and the reason why, like, uh, I like I love Maddie's like a, a, a suggestion of Nate Yule, um, and then under the same regard, uh, uh, Gromberg, because you know. Especially with like with Maddie, you had a great point about uh, Yule uh, being. Uh, I'm sorry, is it Nate Yule or, or Lehman? No, Nate Yule is the writer. It's Nate Lehman, right? Lehman, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Okay, I'm getting me you to say hockey people all mixed up. Anyways, like that's a great point because you know those are the top players of the age group in the country, and then like you know you you have like a development camp or like a review camp or stuff like this, but you can't possibly you can tell them you want them to play a power play like overload or umbrella or blah blah blah. But you just go out there and tell them what to do. They know how to play hockey. Now, it's really because the game is so much read and react. And then, like, you have to get your guys to be able to, like, take an extra step or, or you know, this is this little thing. Or just be able to, like, drive a little bit. So, Kelly, to your point, as far as, like, uh, Marty St. Louis, like, he comes in there. And in the amount of time, he couldn't have possibly, like, reworked the entire system to be able to, like, do new X's and O's. So it becomes 100%, like, motivational. Or even, like, you see with, like, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, you know, it's, you get guys to, like, smile again and, like, be happy to be there and not, like, be, yes. like, so agonized to be there. Then, yeah, guess what? You, 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 you know? And that's why it was so interesting about, like, the whole Kevin Hayes, like, a GM, like, let's get everybody's friends in here. Like, okay, well, we have AV and the ass crew here being assholes, but what if we get everyone to be, like, on the friendship train? Obviously, it didn't work. It's a good idea, and I mean, I keep talking about the Blue Jackets because I guess I'm obsessed with them now or something, (laughs) Um, but I really love what Brad Larson's been doing out there. He has such, like, a gentle dad energy, and it's working. I mean, like, they fixed line A. Yeah, and, you know, like, it's... Because what's really interesting about Tortorella or even like a, a Tortorella acolyte like uh, uh, Brad Larson's supposed to be, or even for that matter, Mike Sullivan, like you, like part of being, you can't always be the rah-rah guy. You got to push these guys because at the same time, you're like they're, they're just sophisticated animals and they thrive off of like competition. So you have to like 
artificially create these like situations where they have to compete against one another. And if you really think about it, like hockey and sports in general, they're really like the last like vestige of like sanctioned violence. So like this is where they get to be able to express themselves. So it can't be all feel good and like uh, like bubbly kind of like kindness all the time. So you need to some guys, you know, for better or worse, or maybe throughout their own sort of trauma, like they like someone yelling at them to get them going. And, but that, that's, that's just it. You have to really be a master of like psychology. Now, the converse to that is you get like, uh, uh, like a, uh, a Mike Babcock, who is like a Hannibal Lecter master of psychology and did it in this really, you know, dangerous way. But you know, it, you just got to like some people like to be pushed and you just got to know how to push the buttons correctly and like when to back off, when to smile, kick in the butt, pat in the back. I kind of feel like, I mean, obviously never having been an elite professional athlete in my mind, the best style of coaching is less, um, you know, angry dad who unless he's yelling at you, you don't think he loves you and more like teammates. You know what I mean? We're like, we're all on the same team. We're all working. Hello, we're all working towards the same goal. Less of like a, a boss and employees and more of like a not collaborative. Cause obviously that's not, that's not going to work, but like, like a, like a San Luis, like a, I trust you guys to know what you're doing. We're all trying to win. Yeah, but you let's get out there and do dad. it. I don't know. You don't have to be angry dad. And, you know, you don't have to be anyone's best friend either. But you also have to know when to say, well, like, number one center, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> like, but that, 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 that's, that's just it. It's just like, you know, like we're trying to get them to, like, put the puck in the other net versus them putting the puck in our net. It's not that complicated, but it is complicated because it's just human emotion. Yeah. I, I just think that it, it seems to me, just like as an observer, that too many coaches get caught up in what they've decided their X's and O's system is and, well, you know, putting players into those boxes. And that's why coaches love third and fourth line players. Because right. They will not, do whatever they say. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. Like, like Kevin Hayes, for example, like he's Kevin Hayes is pro- arguably one of the most talented hockey players there is. And like, you know, the, that's a tough statement to say because obviously his points don't reflect that, but you can tell when he's out there, he is just, he's making it up as he goes. There's, there's no game plan for what he does. So that's why when he makes plays, they're, they're like these divine, like, sort of like beautiful works of art or he looks like he doesn't know how to skate because he's literally just playing by feel and you can't like you know chris vanvelde he couldn't possibly ever get to that level because he just doesn't have that in him so you know put myself on mute sorry (laughs) that's but to, to, to end that point though it was like it's like yeah when when things go wrong and you're not scoring and you can't just like catch lightning in a bottle of like the talent of like a, a player like a, like a Hayes versus a Van Velde, then you know the coach the only control you have is ice time and you're going to put out the guys that are doing what you tell them to even though they're not actually doing anything. Right, which is terrible. Which just yeah. seems like a very stupid way <laughs> to operate a hockey team. But again, people are sophisticated animals, including the coach. So all he's trying to do is survive. Right. 
and, and this is the kind of thing that makes me think at the end of the day, we're going to end up with Tortorella because. I think I, it's going to be Tockett. Because uh, I, I think the, because I think Tockett is sort of like the in-between of a Tortorella and a Gromberg or, or a Lehman. See, I hate both of them, but at least, <laughs> at least Tortorella has a proven track record of making a team better than they are on paper. Well, like the Blue Jackets what, never should have been as good. What, what, what kind of food does Rick Tockett look like to make you feel better about hiring him? Rick Tockett looks like a meatball. There we go. A, with no sauce, a sauceless meatball. Now, all you have to do is get Steve to kind of think of like a good like ass crew kind of nickname for Rick Tockett. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you just got to humanize him. Is there an old uh, Minnesota retread? Because you know, oh, no, Maddie, that's what's gonna be. Oh, no. Who? Yeah, actually, there is an old Minnesota retread who we should have hired in the first place was uh, um, Gabby uh, Boudreau. Like, and mm. apparently he's not a hundred percent guaranteed re-up in Vancouver. Is that right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, like it's a. I don't know, like, and, you know, I don't know anything just like anyone, like all, all the same, like sort of information is available to me, available to you. But like, it's, um, I think it, one of the Jeff Merrick or 32 thoughts things we're t- kind of talking about, like there's something weird about his contract or something there. There's an option, but you would think as well as he's done, it would, would have been picked up or it, you know, it's, it's kind of like somebody who's like, uh, like a kid, like a Friday night or something like, who won't commit to plans because they want they're waiting for better plans to show up. Mm. I wonder if Chuck could have gotten Boudreaux if he hadn't waited. And I wonder about a lot of things Chuck could have and should have done. <laughs> but girl, me too. Uh, just like that fifth round pick we should have got from Marty J. Mm. Briere for coach or GM? GM. GM. Does any. <laughs> I might just be broken, but like, do we have any reason to think that Danny Breer is going to be better at anything than the current people that we have? I like, is it just that he's different? I like the fact that they, I mean, I don't 100% know this, but I'm pretty sure they sent him to Wharton. He did. A yeah. lot of what, yeah. And a lot of what the, you know, this isn't like, you know, Brian Burke and like, or, or two guys sitting in a bar making trades uh, like uh, on a napkin anymore. Like the, the NHL general manager, you're an executive. Like, uh, and just in the same way that like a uh, NHL like coaching bench used to be two guys just like kind of doing X's and O's. It's all delegation. So think about how many like AGMs and like how, like how intricate like this like everybody that works for that staff is. Like it's, I, I think. That, at least that's what I'm telling myself is the going to be the difference. And that right, yeah. Because like, even now, like uh, Boykin is Kyle Dubas or some of these other guys, or uh, like uh, Eric T or Buddy Tulski, right? It's if if we want like a different kind of background, like that, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be an educated person, or even that uh, that person out of uh, the Chicago tried to hire it out of baseball that was like supposed to be one of these like Moneyball acolytes or yeah. something like that. If anything, I feel that, like, when you look at what Tulski's done in Carolina, what that tells you is that you hire someone from BroadStreetHockey.com <laughs> to run your hockey team, and that will lead you to success. Could you imagine Bill as, 
a president of a club. Could I ever? <laughs> I, I don't care what that club's record is. I just, I just want, like, I just picture him being like Jay Jonah Jameson. Just like, I just want this. I want that. I would like, I, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. It would be amazing. The thing about Bill is, he is smart enough to know what he doesn't know. So Bill would be an absolute madman at the top. But he would hire incredibly smart people to make choices for him. And I'm sure the, the the team would be great, but the sound bites and like he would make like Brian Burke seem be, like a church mouse. It would be amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Maddie, James, do you have anything else that you want to add? Or anyone in the chat, if you would like to speak up, raise your hand. Uh, I'm going to flex for a second and oh. jump into the chat. Um, who asked this? Uh, Eric asked if uh, Briere is open to analytics. Funny you should ask that. Uh, <laughs> he did hire me to Ooh. do a bit of tracking for the Mariners Fancy. this season. So pro analytics indeed. So what Maddie is saying that she is the next Eric Tulski. She will be the AGM to Briere's GM. She you will heard bring the flyers first. to greatness. Matt, are you allowed to say what you were Sources for? Sources tell me. Um, no, but we can chat privately if you okay, like. Okay, because I'm hyper curious about that. Somebody who, <laughs> yeah, anyways, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> All right, well, if but, no one else has anything that they would like to add to this extremely random non-Bill Matt's post game, um, thanks very much, Maddie. Thank you for coming and hanging out. James, thank you for hanging out. This was um, so fun. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. As always, Bill will be back on Tuesday, blissfully, to talk to you after the game. Uh, yeah, hope everyone has a good week. Have a great night, everybody.